Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff farm going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Groovy, Walgren, Bill Belichick, where all students of Bill Walsh don't ever forget. Hi guys, it's my pleasure to see you. Welcome back to the 49 of Fearful UK show. My name is Lee Gowland and I'm going to be your co-host alongside an original member of the 49er Faithful UK, Brian Davis. On this week's show, we are going to review the Week 1 game against the Vikings, as well as the Week 2 game against the Lions. Right, hi Brian. It's been a while. It certainly has, yeah. I think it's been, what, about three years since I've actually sat down and prepped notes for a podcast and uh, watched a game intently and watched replays back and everything. And uh, yeah, quite excited to be back in amongst doing all the uh, all this good podcast stuff again. Yeah, it's quite surprising how much time it takes up, but mm. um, you do learn a lot about the game by going back and watching the, the, the replays over and over again, especially the Coaches 22. Um, you pick up on some interesting things, one of them which I'll probably get to once we review the Vikings game. Um, so obviously this is our first podcast back in three years. We had intended doing it a week earlier, but because of uh, myself suffering from cold and your cracked ribs, we weren't able to do that. Um, so let's start off with a bit, a bit of a, not so much a season preview, but let's talk about the new additions and who do you think will make the biggest impact? Uh, well, I think the obvious one for me is obviously going to be Richard Sherman, um, especially given you know what we've been hearing about him coaching on the sidelines and coaching up a number of the young defensive backs. And by all accounts, he's taken Witherspoon under his wing. Um, and I know that there was a lot, a lot of negative press um, and a whole host of massive um, social media overreaction when he signed. Um, and I think a lot of people at the time were quite daft in saying that they won't support him and uh, they'll continue to support the team, but they won't support him. And I think that's just a load of nonsense. Because uh, basically, if he takes a pick six to the house um, at any point in the season and wins us the game, they're certainly not going to be sat there with their... Um, you know, sat on their hands, not cheering, are they? It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be brilliant if he, if he does that. Especially if he does it in Seattle, that's going to be even better. Um, I think when you look at his persona, I think he's a bit like um, the old wrestlers, or the, probably the wrestlers as they still are. I don't really watch it anymore, but he's got that kind of persona where he, he's a different person on the field, and I think a lot of people probably even ourselves included at the time, sort of brought into that and uh, certainly with a turkey on the 50 and all that kind of stuff. It was, you know, we were all mad at that at the time. But when you think about it, that was a lot of that was all down to the TV companies and, and getting him to do stuff like that. And it, that just played into his on-field persona, I think. So he's definitely going to improve the team. Um, and he's a 49er and he's, he's a huge addition. So if people that say that they're not going to support him, I think they uh, they need to have a little think about their fandom and uh, just get behind him and get behind the team. I would have liked to have said McKinnon, but I think obviously with the injury that he's had now, that's probably that's put pay to him being uh, obviously an impact player this season. But yeah, I think Sherman would be the, uh, I mean, it's, just, it's an easy one, isn't it really? But that's that's the one that I'm sort of, uh, I've gone for. Yeah, I mean, I completely uh, agree with where you're coming from about the persona of Richard Sherman. Um, and I'm definitely one that was over the moon with, with the signing. And I, I think Sherman is a lot like um, Vernon Jamba Juice Davis he's building a brand he knows what he's doing he's an intelligent person it's, it's all an act he's getting ready for when 
he's no longer able to play the game. And it's it's not to everybody's taste, but it's out there. It's getting his name recognised. Obviously, this player's getting his name recognised. Um, but that's what he's doing. He's building the brand. He's an intelligent guy. And um, from what I've seen in the off-season, the way he's brought in the... Uh, the defensive backs has been absolutely excellent. They're all calling them Uncle Sherman, which is unbelievable. It's, it's fantastic. They've taken to him straight away. And even Joe Staley turned around and said, I didn't expect to like the guy, but when he turned up, you can't do anything but like the guy. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with that, uh, 100%. So from my point of view, um, the, the person I think would have the biggest impact is our number one pick, uh, Mike McGlinchey purely because our O-line was so bad last year and we, we really needed to do something to to shore up that O-line. It was a bit of a shock losing Trenton Brown, I, I've got to admit, but I can understand why that happened. Um, we've got an eye on the future. McClinchy's there to eventually take over from Joe Staley um, and having him on the right-hand side now is obviously going to make the right-hand side a lot stronger than what we've had for a while, especially in the run game. Yeah, definitely. Again, it's hard to uh, disagree with anything you said there, to be honest. So who do you think is going to be the most surprising addition? And when I say surprising addition, not because they've been added to the uh, roster, who's going to make the biggest surprise impact? That's a really good question. Um, I think, again, um, well, Sherman was obviously a big surprise coming in. Um, do you know what? I don't know. I think I'm going to let you go first on that, and I'm going to have to have a think about it because um, I'm not 100% sure, to be perfectly honest, who's going to be the biggest surprise. So I've actually gone with Fred Warner. Um, I, I looked at a lot of the game tape after we picked him in the draft, and to be honest, I looked at it and I thought, he's probably going to end up as a backup. I, I can't see him supplanting either Foster or Smith. Hopefully he'll come on after a couple of years of uh, a couple of years behind established starters. Obviously, that I'm saying that in retrospect, we we now have seen the Vikings game and seen what he can do. I think Fred Warner is going to be an absolute star for us this season. I'm really looking forward to seeing him play alongside Foster and hopefully Smith if Smith can get fit again, so that we have Foster, Smith, and Warner. Yeah, I think the one probably the the one that I've looked at a lot of YouTube videos is probably um, I'd probably have to go to Richie James. I know he's on the practice squad at the minute. Um, it's probably going to take an injury for him to get onto uh, the roster this year. But I think looking at the seasons he had in 2015 and 2016 in college, I would like to think that he could be a big surprise, especially as a seventh round draft pick. Um, he, he could be a huge addition for us. He certainly put the effort in during the off-season and in the pre-season games. Yeah, he he looks really good. And to be honest, I was quite surprised he was inactive on um, Sunday. Kendrick Bond for me, over the, over the last season, he, he hasn't really shone like I thought he would, yet he's still getting the opportunities to get out there and take reps in games. And I just thought, given what Richie James had done in pre-season, the body of work he'd done, I thought he might have gotten the chance. Um, but it's early days. It's only one season, uh, one game in. Yeah, I think it would be too easy to say that uh, Dante Pettis is going to be a surprise this year because I think he's already shown himself in pre-season and against the Minnesota Vikings that he could be a huge addition for us as well. Yeah, agreed. So pre-season, that, that's an interesting one. There, there was a lot of comments made within the group page 
um, th- there was a lot of despondency because of the way we were playing during preseason, and especially about the win loss column. And I, I, I don't know if there were new fans to the game or experienced fans. Don't know how long they've been watching it, um, but in my mind preseason is all about looking at the fringe players, getting your timing right. The win loss column doesn't matter at all. It's it's all about getting your squad down from a 90-man roster to, to 53. So you're bound to see a lot more of the players who aren't really going to make the roster. And that's because they're being given the chance. Yeah, I bet nobody can recall the um, pre-season results from the five seasons that we've won Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you what our pre-season record was last season. It, it just it doesn't matter. For, I agree again with yourself. You know, pre-season for me, it's about staying fit. You're looking at new schemes. You're maybe trying new schemes. And like you say, you're giving fringe players opportunities to make, make the 53 roster. Or if they're not making the 53 roster, then you know your youngsters are coming through and they're again, going to be put on the practice squad. Uh, you're looking, at, again, at all of those practice squad guys, giving them a chance to, if they're not making the 53, to, to make it to there. Um, you're shaking off the rust and, and you're putting people out who had injuries last year, getting them reps, getting them back into it. And... The win-loss column means absolutely nothing to me. I mean, I didn't even watch most of the preseason games. I just caught caught a little bit of the highlights on on the 49ers.com website and bits and bobs here and there on NFL.com. But yeah, preseason it, it really it just means to me that football's back. Uh, and like you say, you're getting your roster down from 90 players down to 53. Yeah, I must admit I'm exactly the same. I, I don't bother with the preseason games other than highlights, and I basically sit there for four weeks with my fingers crossed, hoping that nobody gets injured. Um, because that's the major thing that comes out of preseason. If you get a starter injured, that could completely derail your, your preseason. Sorry, your regular season. So, with that in mind, and, and the fact that you, you know we've um, we've lost McKinnon before the first game of the season, we now know what we've got going forward for these sixteen games. What would constitute an acceptable progress being made this year by the Forty ers organization? I think we're looking at about 500 record, aren't we? Acceptable progress this year. If, if we can go eight and eight, if we can squeeze to nine and seven, anything better than that's going to be an absolute bonus. Uh, but yeah, definitely as an acceptable record, uh, you're looking at a 500 record. And I think looking at the schedule, we're, we're capable of probably going over 500, but we will need uh, a lot of things to go in our favour. And we will need to try and stay as injury free as possible, which it's easier said than done when you look at how the first game of the season's panned out and when you lose your star running back without even taking a snap in the regular season. Completely agree. Um, having said that, within the group, I did make uh, my own prediction of 11-5, and five, and that was based purely off games where I think we do stand a chance. There's, there's a chance we can win it there. Um, on the balance of play, I've, some of those are going to be wrong. I went for 11, 11 and 5 purely based off that there's five games that I think it's going to be too tough for us. Uh, and the five L's that I've taken, uh, some of them are on the road. The Vikings, which we already know we've been beaten, um, I've getting us taken losses against the Packers, the Rams, and the Seahawks, as well as a home defeat by the Rams. I think the Rams will turn us over twice. The, the Vikings had one of the best defences last year. And going into Minnesota, first game of the season was always going to be tough, um, as it proved out to be, although it was a lot closer than I imagined. The, the Packers are a tough de- 
tough team to beat on the road. And with a healthy Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, I, I think we'll struggle to get the win in Lambeau. The Rams are completely stacked. I mean, they've gone absolutely ridiculous. The, the players they've picked up, the, they must have no cap space left whatsoever. They're definitely in a championship window, and that's how they've spent. They've spent on a win-now mode. As far as the Seattle game is concerned, I don't think Seattle are particularly better than us. I think we do have the beating of them. But this will be Jimmy's first game at CenturyLink Field. He's going to have to contend with the noise. It's going to be a learning experience. And I think he might struggle on his first visit, which is why I've got the Seahawks beating us on their own turf. And that's the five. The other 11 games, I think, are winnable. Having said that, again, looking at the week one results, there's two teams that stand out to me where straight away I had us for a win, and now I'm thinking, you know what, they're a lot better than what I took them for, and that's the Bears and the Bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you've looked at my notes, because <laughs> if you go through the schedule, I can see us, again, Lions at home, you'd like to think that we should be able to win that based on their performance on Monday night. Uh, Arizona home and away, I think at the minute we've definitely got the beating of them. Oakland and the Giants, I think... Uh, Nobody really knows what's going on at Oakland at the minute with John Gruden back. The Giants seem to be starting to get themselves back in order again, but I like to think with a home field advantage there, we've got the beating of them. Again, Buccaneers, before the season started, I put that down as a win. Um, but like I say, when, when they go into uh, New Orleans and put up 48 points on them, who's to know what they're going to do with once Jameis Winston comes back, if he even comes back into the into the team there after his suspension. I think, again, home against Seattle and Chicago, they should, they're games that I've, before the season started, have penciled down for a W. But So if you look at those games there, that's eight already. So there's your 500 record. And then KC next week, it's always hard going to Arrowhead uh, as an away team. And like you say, with the, with the noise and stuff there, it's it can be just as loud as it is up in Seattle sometimes. So, you know, Garoppolo's going to have his, his work out, trying to work with silent counts and all sorts in there. The Chargers on the road, again, that's one that could go either way at this stage of the season. Who, who really knows? The Chargers are such a unknown entity at times. They're a little bit, you know, one week they're brilliant, the next week they're, they're not so great. Rivers can throw five five touchdowns one week and the next week he's throwing five picks. He's, he's a bit like sort of Jay Cutler used to be when he, when he was quarterback of the Bears. Like, I totally agree with the Packers on the road. If Rodgers is fit, you just don't know, but you, as, as if you're a Packers fan, you, you'd be looking at our game as a game to win. If Rodgers isn't fit, I think we, we can go up there and win. And I totally agree with you, Seattle on the road. It's going to be tough. Uh, Seattle are rebuilding again at the minute, but they're nowhere near as good as they have been when we've been up there the last four or five seasons, and they've utterly dominated us, and we struggle to get anything up there. So, again... That's going to be tough, but it's probably the best chance in a long time that we've had of going up there and, and getting a win and certainly beating them uh, twice in a season. That would be the first time for well, a long, long time, I think, that when we've beaten both Seattle home and away. Uh, and then, like you say, the Rams at the minute are absolutely stacked. Um, they're, they're pretty much put all their chips in the table, haven't they, for this season? They're going for it. Um, so I think we're going to struggle in both games against the Rams. But we, we've proved last season that we can hang with the Rams in a, in a shootout. So you just never know. You just never know. This could be one of those odd, odd games where, you know, maybe we win 41-39 this season rather than, you know, us missing an extra point and going for two like we did last season. Yes, exactly. Any given Sunday. That's the best thing about mm. the NFL. Yeah. So in the coming season, do you have any bold predictions for the 49er players? 
bold predictions. I don't know how, how bold a couple of these are going to be. Um, George Kittle. He could be a top five tight end by the end of the year. Is that bold? Is that, is that really bold? Or is, is, I don't know. It's... <laughs> It, 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 it is bold. bold. It, it's it's so bold. It's exactly the same as my <laughs> prediction. <laughs> um, having seen Fred Warner on Sunday, I'd probably like to think that he could be in the shout with the Defensive Rookie of the Year candidate. And if yeah. things really go well, uh, Shanahan Coach of the Year. That's the kind of top three that I've got down as bold predictions for this season. So I, I've went a little different to you. So I haven't included the coaching staff. I haven't included the coaching staff. What I've done is I've gone with, for an offensive player and defensive player, and obviously my offensive player is George Kittle. Uh, and what I've wrote down is George Kittle will make it to the Pro Bowl as the leading tight end in the NFC. And that's so that means he's going to be better than Jimmy Graham at um, okay. Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball. And I think he's I think he's capable of it. Um, he had that one drop at the weekend against the Vikings. And I think that was a timing issue more than anything else. On the defensive side of the ball, I can see DeForest Buckner being an all-pro. I think he's going to have a breakout season. Um, he's already made a good start on Sunday. And I think this is going to be his year to shine. A couple of the sections that are hard for us to do in the preseason, um, and this was purely for people who are thinking about going out to San Francisco to see a game this year, um, obviously, both you and I have been out to San Francisco, and it's good to impart your knowledge. Um, so what what would you say is your favourite memory from visiting San Francisco? I'm quite fortunate. I've got a few. Um, I can uh, I can really do a name drop here. <laughs> uh, the first time I went to San Francisco, Roger Craig actually picked me up from the airport and took me to my hotel. Um, that was really cool. Uh, that was basically just through interacting on social media. Um, pretty much in the early days of, uh, of Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. That was absolutely amazing. Um, and that, I actually went for the New Orleans Saints playoff game, uh, the Vernon Post. And that was just probably the best game of American football that I've ever been to. Um, and that will take some beating for me, that, that particular game. Um, again, went back again in 2013. Uh, saw one of the games in the last season at Candlestick Park, which was uh, a fantastic win over Green Bay back in uh, Colin Kaepernick's era, back when he was uh, unbeatable. Um, and then again, we went back in 2014 uh, in the first season at Levi's. We saw the second game at Levi's. Uh, we went as part of the 49er Faithful UK group. Um, and the 49ers staff there, they really looked after us. We had um, behind-the-scenes tour, we got field passes before the game, and then we beat the Eagles, which was the first win at Levi's, which was uh, absolutely incredible um, privilege to be part of that, and, and the team made us feel, and the, and the staff made us feel so welcome. Uh, you know, we were going out for, for drinks and for dinner with a lot of the staff, and you know, we had food in the canteen and stuff with the players, it was absolutely amazing. And also, it'd be remiss of me to not mention the time that I went back in 2016, and uh, one of the guys that I've become friends with at the 49ers uh, back office um, let me go on a private tour and propose to my girlfriend down in the end zone. So I have to mention that because she'll probably listen back at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure you uh, keep on her good side. Huh? Exactly. So I, I think I've got two favourite moments from my trips over there. 
Um, the first one is undoubtedly when I went over there in 2013. It was a whistle stop tour. Um, arrived on the Friday, went home Monday, and it was purely so I could see Candlestick once in my life. Um, and turning up to Candlestick on the morning was an unbelievable experience. One, one that I'll never forget. And the other one was from the latest uh, trip over there, and that was when Keena Turner gave us the private tour. Um, absolutely gobsmacked. Still can't believe it happened. And at the end of it, when he, he gave us some freebies, a couple of T-shirts, a program, and a uh, woolly knitted hat. Um, I've actually named that knit the Keener. But I don't wear it because I don't want to get it dirty. <laughs> so it's actually sat on a shelf with all of my other memorabilia. Okay. But I would say those are my two favorite moments um, from visiting San Francisco. Do you have any tips for anybody that's going to go out there this year? Uh, I've When I've been, I always try and stay in and around Union Square. Uh, that seems to be where a lot of the buzz is um, in, in the city itself. Uh, there's a lot of bars, everything's walkable from that kind of area. Uh, the best tip that was ever given to me about San Francisco is um, dress like you're from here and walk like you're from here. And if you end up in uh, taken down you know, into the wrong block, uh, style it out as if you mean to go down there and just loop around back on yourself and, and uh, like I say, look like you're from there and you, you knew that you look like you were meant to go down there. But um, well, another good tip is... Um, if you want to catch a cable car, don't catch one from the uh, turntables because that's where everybody goes. You want to go two or three stops up and they always send the cable cars off with at least half a dozen free spaces so you can jump on probably almost straight away uh, rather than queuing for sort of 45 minutes to an hour at a turntable. So I think from my point of view, a tip that I would give is in previous years when I've been out, there's either only been myself or there's been two of us. Um, so it was always worked out quite cheap to get the the clipper card or what used to be called the Muni card um, pass, which gets you on the cable cars, the street cars, um, the BART to a certain extent, uh, and the Muni buses as well. Uh, and that used to work out quite cheap. Last November when we were there, there was, there was a group of four of us and at times six of us. So the Ubers were unbelievably cheap. So if there's a group of three or more people, I would recommend you get an Uber about town. You'll still more than likely end up getting a clipper card because you want to use the cable cars and the street cars. But if you want to get somewhere quick and you don't have to wait for a street car or a cable car or a bus to come along and, and you don't want to take that time at each different stop, jump in an Uber because if there's three of you, it's going to cost next to nothing. And to go from where we were in Fisherman's Wharf round to the Caltrain station to get the train down to either Palo Alto when we went to Stanford or down to Mountain View to jump on the VTA light to go to Levi's. It, it was very quick, very cheap, and it was absolutely spot on. So that, that would be my one tip. Yeah, public transport, um, obviously I've not been for a couple of years now, but yeah, public transport is definitely the, uh, the best way to go. Nights are Ubers or uh, Lyft. Yeah, exactly. Right, so on Sunday's game against the Vikings... I don't think it's the result that we all want. Well, definitely wasn't the result that we all wanted. Um, it's maybe it's the result that quite a few people expected. Um, but result aside, performance-wise, I, I think there's a few things we can pick out from that. Um, and I think going through my notes, I try to do a 
not so much a play by play, but if something significant happened, then I made a note about it. Um, so I think that's how we'll approach this review of the game. Uh, well, my initial, um, if you want to do like an initial summary, despite the defeat, um, I was quite positive afterwards because, um, like we've sort of already sort of touched on it, it was a it was a game that we could have won against the team that were in in the playoffs last year. I think what they thirteen and three last season. So to, to come away from there and only lose by one score, that puts us in good stead for the rest of the season. To be honest, I know um, you know defeats always. No, none of us like to lose, but when you when you sort of take a step back and look at it realistically, we, a lot of us, like we've already said, would have had that down as a defeat anywhere. So to, to come that close against a team who are probably going to be looking at aspirations of going one step further and making a Super Bowl themselves this year, I don't think you know we've done ourselves any disrespect when you sort of step back and look at it from an overall performance. Yeah, completely agree. We, we stood toe-to-toe with the number one defence last year and we kept it within one score. And to be honest, we we gifted them the game because of our own mistakes. The, the Vikings didn't really put a foot wrong other than that one fumble, yet we stayed with them uh, and we had three interceptions and two fumbles. One of the fumbles we recovered. Actually, we had three fumbles, the, the muffed punt. So we, we did, we, we kept with them. So... Beginning of the first quarter, or not the beginning, the, the first real incident within the first quarter, um, sorry, second quarter, was a Diggs touchdown. And I saw some comments within the group about Witherspoon not turning his head. Um, so when I went back and looked at it, I remembered a conversation or an interview with Kyle Shanahan last year, and it was about Witherspoon then as well. And they were asked whether or not Witherspoon should have been turning his head. And the way Shanahan explained it was, if the cornerback is in between the quarterback and the receiver, he doesn't turn his head. He looks at the receiver's arms, and as soon as his arms start to move up to make the catch, he needs to stick his arm in and not turn his head. And that's what Witherspoon doing. So he did exactly the same this time as what Shanahan and the defensive staff had trained him to do last year. Yeah, I've made the same note, note here myself that, you know, in that situation, you're going to be playing the hands of the receiver and, and not turn the head. So if he, if he turns his head to look back at that, he's potentially he's going to give the receiver a yard, a couple of yards, and, and he's gone. As it was, he, it went for a touchdown anyway, but he's got a better chance of breaking up that play if he plays the receiver's hands than actually turning around and looking, trying to track the ball and look for the ball, potentially stumble and, and let the guy, like I say, let the guy have a free run into the end zone. He, he, You've got to play the hands of the receiver and uh, in that situation. So the, the start of the second quarter wasn't a particularly good quarter for us. Um, I think it was a couple of players later after the restart of the game, we ended up losing Goodwin to injury. Um, and that was with 12.50 on the clock. So that was literally just after the end of the first quarter. He, he did come back on for a couple of snaps towards the end of the game, but I don't think he was targeted. Um, and I think it was only a couple of snaps. Post-game, he's been diagnosed as having a, a deep thigh contusion. Um, now, if I'm right, it's a dead leg. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely. hopefully yeah. he'll be back this Sunday. Um, re- reading about it, it's basically where you've got some bruising deep in the muscle, and, and that's it. So hopefully that's all it is, a dead leg. So to get on to the next, the next thing, which probably annoyed a lot of the fan base, and that was the missed tackles. So, second quarter, 11.15 on the clock, the Vikings have the ball. 
Um, I think it was Dalvin Cook. He was handed off the ball, went straight through the centre of the line of scrimmage. Two of our guys stood right next to him, and both of them missed him. And, and they were literally shoulder to shoulder, and neither one of them made the tackle. And he went straight through for a 15-yard gain, and he should have been stopped at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and it kind of uh, went downhill after that, didn't it, with the amount of missed tackles that we had through the game. That actually did have, in terms of the tackling, that did have a pre-season game feel about it. It was almost like we were watching second and third stringers out there not being able to perform because they weren't good enough. And that is something that we're definitely going to have to be uh, looked at this week in terms of uh, trying to wrap up, not just go for the big hit or not just stand there and watch guys go through. They, they've got to get themselves together and start actually uh, tackling correctly because we must have given up 50, 60, if not more yards through missed tackles on Sunday. Easy, yeah. Easy, easy. And it could have been so much worse. A minute after that um, particular play, Dalvin Cook fumble. Before he fumbled that ball, he managed to get through the line of scrimmage again and four missed tackles I counted between him getting through the line of scrimmage before the ball was unlodged. Had that not happened, he'd have been away to the races. He, he was off, uh, and that would have been a huge gain for them. And that was caused by four missed tackles. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was was really disappointing and frustrating to watch. But that was only one of a few negatives that I've really got for the whole game, really. So, like I said earlier, to come away from a team that are going to be aspiring to make the Super Bowl this year with just a few mistakes like that, it's uh, these things can be rectified. You know, It's not like we've gone there and uh, got absolutely blown out. And if you think about it, if we'd have gone there last season certainly before the bye week and before Garoppolo arrived, we'd have probably gone there and lost 30 or 40 points to nine or something. It would have been a complete blowout. Yeah, definitely. So the the second quarter didn't get much better for us uh, after that. Midway through the, the second quarter is when we've lost our first right guard, our starting right guard. Um, the fact that we've signed an O-lineman during the week suggests that either him or Garnet aren't going to be ready. A note I had made is our O-line handled the pass protection really well up to that point. Where they were failing was on the running plays. They'd only opened three running plays to, to this point, and th- this was towards the end of this, uh, the first half, which basically meant we, we were forced to throw the ball a lot more than what we wanted to. We just weren't making the lanes, so it nullified our run game. Yeah, again, I, I totally agree. It's uh, It wasn't particularly pretty, was it? Uh, but again, you're suffering when you've got that many injuries early on to, to your O-line. And then once uh, person and, and then um, Garnet have both gone down, then you're moving McGlinchey over into right guard, which he's never ever played in his entire career. Um, and then was it Gary Guillaume that come on as uh, right tackle, wasn't it? So he did, it yeah. Was, uh, yeah, we were sort of uh, right up against it, really, with uh, in terms of the O-line. And we were sort of just basically going out there with whatever we could and trying to make, make it work. And, uh, yeah, not a great position to be in at all. So a few more observations from the first half. And I'm, I'm guilty of screaming at the TV when I saw Morris fumble to two players running. Um, obviously, the, the second one he lost, the first one he managed to recover again. But when I've rewatched that, on both players, there was a defender came through completely unblocked to tackle Morris. So it's it's not surprising that he, he fumbled on both of those players. The O-line were terrible when we were running the ball. They were much better 
uh, in pass protection. So that that is definitely one area where we need to improve. Yeah, and that was um, only his first fumble since 2014. So generally, he's pretty good at, um, at keeping the ball secure when he's uh, when he's running the ball. He went through the whole of uh, his last season with Washington and his two seasons with Dallas without fumbling. Yeah, he, he did have a good. He did have a couple of good runs. Um, I think the longest maybe was 14 yards. Uh, and when the Vikings tried to stop him, he did bulldoze through them a little bit. Um, so towards the end of the first half. Sherman's blocked pass targeted Treadwell. This was absolutely excellent and shows what a quality defensive back he is. Um, he, he definitely hasn't lost the ability to, to get in there and make huge plays. He maybe might have lost a little bit of speed. He looked a little bit rusty at the start of the game, but came on more and more as the game went on. Uh, and by the end, he was actually looking like the Sherman of old. Again, maybe he's not as quick. But the way he held himself, the way he was getting in front of the uh, receiver, I, I thought that was really good. Yeah, definitely. And it takes a lot to come back from that kind of injury as well. He's probably not going to be the 100% the Richard Sherman that um, lined up against us for all those years with Seattle coming back from an injury like that. Plus, now he's 30. But, yeah, he's in terms of the player that he is, he, he's, he's going to be absolutely fantastic. And he's a huge addition to the team. And if he can be... 75 to 80 percent of the player that he was for Seattle for us he's going to be brilliant hopefully he will be that player um so one final thing before we leave the first half Fred Warner made two tackles in the first half which were excellent as far as timing was concerned had he been a split second later probably as if getting a flag for pass interference it was that well timed no sooner had the receiver gotten that ball into his hands he was down on the floor yeah, Warner was absolutely fantastic the whole game. Was it 11 tackles I think he got through, through the game? Yeah. Um, yeah, brilliant. He, he looked to me like he'd been there for years. He, he looked like he'd been an NFL player for years. It was almost like the days when we had one of Willis or Bowman, not, you know, obviously not both of them, but when he and Foster are together, whoa, that's going to be exciting. That, I'm really looking forward to seeing Warner and, um, and Foster next to each other. That's gonna be, that could be dominant. That could be really special to watch. Yeah, definitely agreed. He, he did remind us a little bit of uh, Navarro Bowman, the way he made it from sideline to sideline, the, the speed he attacks the uh, the offense with, and it was pleasing to see. We, we mentioned Kittle before we got into the game review about um, ball predictions. What, what was your view of the drop? That was a massive um, game-changing moment, wasn't it? You, you, you've got the deep ball to Kittle, um, you've got the drop, and then next play, pick six. And that is one of the most huge momentum changes that you, you can ever get in football, can it? Because you're, you're back in the game with seven points, and then next play, you're down a further seven points. And, and that really was, uh, that, that would have finished off worse teams, I think, that, that, that whole moment there in those two plays. So you mentioned the pick six. Bourne has come out during the week and he's put his hand up and said he was to blame for running the wrong route. What was your view on that pick six? I, I think it's still on the quarterback. Uh, Bourne's always going to come out and say he ran, ran the wrong route, but I think it, the quarterback's still got to own it. And uh, even if he did run the right or the wrong route, he still slipped over. So it probably still would have been uh, an interception and a pick six regardless. Yeah, so I'm glad you said that because when I viewed it, that's exactly how I viewed it. Regardless of whether or not Bourne had run the right route, 
that ball was definitely going straight into the Vikings' hands. Um, I think it was a poor throw. I, I, I don't know if it was inexperience, whether, whether he's trying to force it. But yeah, I would definitely put that one down on Jimmy. Yeah, and I think if, if you're going to get these kind of problems, it's better to have these sort of teething problems and te- you know, in these kind of games where you're expected to, to lose anyway. Let's get all of these errors and silly mistakes out now and then let's concentrate on putting it right in games like Sunday, which in theory we should be winning. As far as the pass coverage is concerned, I think there's only the one player that springs to mind where it left us thinking, what the hell were they doing there? And there was a blown coverage midway through the third. That led to a huge, huge Vikings gain. Hopefully we won't see that too often. Uh, yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> but, you know, they're going to have their work out again this weekend because if you, if you look at the offensive weapons that Matt Stafford's got for the Lions, it's... Although we're saying we sh- it should be a game that we're winning, it- it's not going to be a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination with the, you know, the weapons that he's got. Late into the third quarter, uh, Garoppolo got sacked. Uh, and my view of that was that he held on to the ball a little bit too long. Um, he could actually see the defender coming to him and he just kept holding it, holding it, holding it. And he had the opportunity to throw that out rather than take the sack and, and lose the yards. Yeah, I'd probably go with inexperience, but then it was almost the opposite of what happened on the third interception, wasn't it? When he probably should have just hit that sack, took a five-yard loss or five, six-yard loss and gone down. But he's trying to force force that throw, and essentially that's uh, that's given the game up and uh, and that's given us the uh, the defeat. Start the fourth quarter. I thought we had an interception in our hands. Jaquiski Tart. I thought he was very unlucky. Yeah, I think he was uh, planning his celebration dance, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it was. I think that's the problem. Um, and then after that, we had Jimmy's second interception, which was the uh, the overthrown pass to Pettis. W- what I did notice about this was Pettis seemed to struggle to make the cut into the slant cleanly. Um, but I've just got a feeling that had Pettis not struggled to make that cut, he'd have had that ball. Okay. So this is one where I- I'm reluctant to say that was Jimmy's problem. Mm. it's more of a I think the ball was slightly overthrown and I think Pettis struggled to get out, out of that cut both contributed to yeah. that second INT yeah it's, uh, it's difficult to uh, to not agree with any of that to be perfectly honest so we had the chance of getting a getting a touchdown midway through the fourth quarter past the Kittle what was your view on that? I'm glad that we're actually using Kittle and not so much in this game, Selleck, in the in the red zone, to be honest, because too often in the past we've not had someone of that sort of size, you know, the 6'4", six, 6'5", six, in the red zone that we should be targeting. It's To me, it's positive that we're actually targeting, you know, the 6'4", six, 6'5", six, guys in, in the end zone and in the red zone, because in, if you think in the past, all of those fades that we used to run to the corner of the end zone to, you know, the likes of Crabtree and... and Sort of your six foot, six foot one receivers. Personally, I think we've been, we've missed. So, do you remember Marcus Colston that always used, yeah. to, used to score loads of touchdowns for the Saints? We, I always think we could have always done with someone like him when we were in that run of sort of 2011 through to 2014 when we were, you know, a playoff team and, and going to the Super Bowl and to championship games. I think if we'd have had someone of his ilk um, during that time, it had been a far better red zone tar- you know, target for Kaepernick at the time and, and Alex Smith than uh, you know, the likes of uh, Michael Crabtree and, and those kind of shorter receivers and, and 
trying to force fades into the corner of the end zone when you know you, you've got a six five six six guy you, you can go and put similar to the catch with Dwight Yark you know you just put Dwight Clark you put it up there he goes up and gets it and invariably if you look back at a lot of Colston's touchdowns for the Saints that's, that's how he scored a lot of his touchdowns and I, I always think that we missed someone like that so in, in terms of going for the, the likes of Selleck and um, Kittle in the end zone I, I'm all for that and uh, again it's 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 teething errors it's early in the season these things will come with time and we'll I'm sure it, you know as the season progresses, uh, the likes of Kittle and Selleck, you're probably going to score half a dozen dozen touchdowns between them um, within in those kind of situations. It's funny that you should mention Dwight Clark. I, I did actually make a note of that uh, that pass into the end zone, and the note I made was the only person catching that throw is Dwight Clark. <laughs> you could see Jimmy was upset with himself. He was annoyed. Yeah. He knew he'd overthrown that. I also found it interesting that you mentioned both Kittle and Selleck. Selleck didn't have a single target in Sunday's game, which I found really amazing. Um, but Selleck always seemed to be a safe pair of hands. I'm quite surprised we didn't have a lot more two tight end mm. sets mm. once we got into the end zone. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of people will probably look at our tight ends and think who, but in terms of a combo, the pair of them, I, I'm genuinely excited to see. What they can do with uh, with Jimmy as the quarterback this season, I, I think they uh, they've got a real chance of uh, scoring a lot of uh, touchdowns between the pair of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, so midway through the fourth quarter, we, we, we've discussed the whole um, not turning your head um, when when you're defending against the receiver and you're in between the receiver and the quarterback. Uh, and the best example of that was a tackle by Quan Williams against Thielen midway through the fourth quarter. He was behind Thielen, and he didn't turn his head once. He just kept on looking at Thielen's arms. As soon as his arms started to go up, he put his left hand up and deflected that ball. And that would be a perfect example of why you don't turn your head. Yeah, just playing, playing the receiver's hands and, uh, and making a play. So we've gone to another completely unblocked defender, uh, and this was another sack that Jimmy Garoppolo took. Uh, and this was the play directly after the, uh, the Williams play. Um, it, it was, I think, our first player after the punt by the Vikings. And the defender just came straight through. Nobody all blocked him, and he just completely flattened Garoppolo. And after spending so much on a quarterback, we need to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, he needs to be protected. It's, uh, it is worrying when you see someone go through completely and blocks. Luckily, it was only a defensive back, wasn't it? And <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's not the... It wasn't one of those sort of 290 pound defensive ends coming rare in for him, but um, yeah, disappointing to to see that it's uh, gone so wrong so easily as well on that particular play. And I think um, I was watching a bit of video back uh, this morning, and I think Person was it Person? Yeah, Person. No, one of the linemen made a call to double team uh, one of the defensive end on the left hand side, and and they the centre and the uh, right guard at the time moved across to block essentially no one and then that just left that path on the right hand side um, of the left tackle completely unopposed Yeah, so I think that was Lake and Tomlinson that made that call Yes, yeah, Tomlinson it was, yeah stripping for the name there So not long after that um, once the Vikings got the ball back we lost another guy to an injury and that was Brock Coyle It didn't look good, did it? No, at first I thought it was just a concussion 
I hadn't realised he'd broken a bone in his back. Mm. And he's gone on to IR, I believe, as well. Yeah, season-ending IR after one game. Mm. So the next, <laughs> the next thing that happened in the game, and I haven't sorted out a bleeper yet, so <laughs> I might have to find one after we discuss this. Although, having said that, I have mellowed after watching it again. So the fourth and one. This was the one that probably has had every single 49er fan screaming. At we all know what was coming, didn't we? What are you doing? We all knew that nothing was going to happen. We did. And if they would have gone for That's it, you'd thing. have thought, well, fair play, on your own 41, and fourth, you know, to go for it there. But uh, you just can't do that, can you? Definitely not. So Solomon Thomas has been in my bad books all week. <laughs> that is, until I rewatched it. When you rewatch it, you'll see that a split second after Thomas moves, so does Eric Armstead. It's so quick, there's no way Armstead could be reacting to Thomas moving. I had to watch mm. it five, six times, slow it right down, and they did literally almost go off at exactly the same time. It was just too quick to be a reaction to Thomas. So I think had Thomas not gone, Armstead was gone anyway. Mm. So I'm, I'm cutting Thomas some slack. However, it should never, ever happen. No, it should never happen. Jimmy's third interception. That pretty much ended our game that night. Um, another overthrown pass. Um, hopefully he's getting them all out of the system in game one. Yeah, I think we sort of touched on it earlier. There's, you know, in, in that situation, you probably want to, you know, take the sack, take the sort of five, six yards loss, and then reassess the situation on third down. But unfortunately, he's tried to force the situation in, in that particular throw, and uh, yeah, it's uh, sealed the game for the Vikings. But as we said, it, it, let's get these problems out of the way early against the team that have got Super Bowl aspirations, and let's reassess the situation in, in the week and try and pick up the wins in, in the games that we know we should be winning. Yeah, definitely. So we, we do have some areas for immediate improvement, definitely before we uh, we come face-to-face with the Lions on Sunday. All line on running players, they, they definitely need to do better, opening up some gaps. Um, hopefully Morris will be able to use that, get through there. And uh, obviously Morris being our traditional running backs, running back, somebody who runs the ball rather than catches the ball. Um, that's more breeders' forte. Yeah, definitely. I think the one thing that I would say about the running back situation and, and the play calling is we probably need to be a little bit cuter on what we're doing in terms of the packages that we're putting out with the personnel that are on the pitch. Because to me, it the way that it sort of looked in the first game of the season was if Morris is out there, there's a good chance that we're either throwing the ball or Morris is running it. Um, and if Breeder's out there, it's a good chance that Breeder's going to be receiving the ball out of the backfield. Um, Breeder on the field, it, it sort of allows more flexibility in terms of EP being a pass catching back. Um, but if you've got a, a running game when just Morris is on the pitch, it, it's sort of almost tipping your hand that it's going to be a, a run for Morris. And I, I think you need to sort of mix it up just a little bit. Um, and I've got every faith in Kyle Shanahan to be able to do that because, um, I say, you know, Breeders, your pass catching, running back, and, and Morris is more of a sort of three yards and a, and a cloud of dust sort of type guy. So I think they just need to be a little bit cute on what they're doing just to not sort of tip their hands so much in terms of, uh, like I say, Morris being 
the, the main out and have running back and then uh, when Breed is on, on the field we're probably going to be throwing to him I just need to mix it up a little bit for my liking yeah and I think the, the, the next point and it's the obvious point nobody needs to be told that we need to improve this but uh, tackling needs to be improved drastically as we give him far too many yards away absolutely and we, we've kind of carried over a weakness from last season last season we didn't do very well against tight ends or slot receivers and it's exactly the same this season we just do not seem to be able to defend against them. No, and we've got Foster coming back as well. Um, so obviously that's going to be a positive from from week three. Uh, he, you know, that might allow him to, you know, to, to make that a little bit of a better situation in covering the the tight ends as well. Um, and obviously we got these, uh, we got a couple of guys who've come in this this week. Um, Terence Garvin, linebacker. He's played in. Seattle um, so again he should be familiar with our system so it might be that he's uh, he might be a bit of a one-week wonder coming in this week um, with obviously Coyle going in onto the IR um, and obviously with Malcolm Smith still injured and obviously you know, again if we do see Smith back that could be a, a positive for you know for, for looking at trying to cover these guys and like I say it's not going to get any easier with the uh, weapons that Detroit have got this week because they, uh, they've got a lot of uh, receivers that are like coming out the slot and uh, racking up the yards. Yeah, so I think the Terrace Garvin signing was purely as a loss, uh, purely to cover the loss of Coyle. Um, looking at the stats, he, he originally entered the league in 2013 as an undrafted uh, rookie free agent. He's had 74 career games, only four starts. Um, he's managed to register 27 tackles, one and a half sacks and one forced fumble. Um, but he's also used on special teams quite a bit. Yeah, I can imagine he probably will be more of a special teams guy. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. So we, we've had a couple of other transactions this week. Uh, we've brought in a new offensive lineman, Naji Toran, and he's been promoted to the active roster. He was released by the 49ers on the 1st of September and then signed to the practice squad the next day. So he's been promoted to the active roster. And we've also picked up a rookie, Frank Stevens, who we've added to the practice squad. I uh, don't really know much about him. Yeah, I have to say, I've not heard of either of them, to be, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, I think we've, we've uh, been working out a few defensive ends and linebackers this week, looking at the uh, internet this morning for different uh, transactions that have gone ahead. So how do you see the Lions game going? Uh, I'd like to think we're going to win it. They were absolutely manhandled by the Jets and we've got to be positive and look at this game as a, as a game we really should be targeting for a win. Um, I don't think it's must-win situation at this point, but obviously confidence is going to be high going into a tough um, two-week road trip if we can get a win in this game. Um, and obviously, we, as we've seen from the Jets, if we can get pressure onto Stafford, he's, he's going to make the effort, make, uh, it's going to make errors. So, uh, but then if you he threw what four or five interceptions on Monday, but I don't think the Lions actually gave up a sack. So, uh, so they've obviously done a good job of getting the pressure on him to force him into mistakes, but I don't think the Lions actually gave up a sack on uh, on the Monday night. Yeah, that's correct. The O line actually looked quite solid, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought so given the score, but yeah, they, they looked okay. Yeah, again, like I say, they've got a good bunch of receivers, Golladay, Golden Tate, who seemingly is one of those players that always seems to cause us problems wherever he plays, um, and Marvin Jones, and they've got a couple of running backs who like to catch the ball as well, and Riddick and Johnson, so it's uh, it's not going to be easy. Potentially, it could be a shootout. This could be, 
similar kind of score to the uh, New Orleans Tampa Bay game. Um, I know that they give up what was it 170 yards rushing, I think, to uh, the Jets on Monday night. So again, you've got to think that Morris and Breeders' chances in this one are good. Um, and there's uh, a story apparently that the Jets knew all of the uh, the signals. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if. Uh, the 49ers obviously paid much attention to that and whether there's uh, Detroit will be changing their signals from Sunday. Um, they've got a decent special teams unit as well. So we have to be on guard for that. I think uh, we need to uh, look at that for the potential, potential to cause us problems as well. So I think the biggest positive for me leading up to the game this week uh, was the announcement that Ziggy Yanzar is available to play. That doesn't necessarily mean he's fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, generally, when a team um, turns on and says, "Oh yeah, yeah, he's fit. There's no problem. He, he's, he'll be starting Sunday." Um, instead, they just release, "Yeah, he's available," and that's it. Mm. But, yeah, to me, that kind of tells a story. Hopefully, he isn't fully fit, um, because he can be a, a bit of a problem for us yeah, uh, as one of the premier tight ends. Uh, yeah. Sorry, defensive ends. Defensive ends, yeah. yeah. Um, and TJ Lang on their O-line is also potentially out. So, again, they're dealing with O-line problems themselves. Uh, but to lend to lend support to the people who do think it's a must-win game, since 1990, only 12% of teams that have started 0-2 have made the playoffs. So that's uh, that might lend towards the people who think that Sunday is a must-win game. Personally, I don't think it is, but... I can see why some people may think that, but I think uh, when you look at the situation we're in, uh, to be looking at the playoffs is, to me, as a bonus. I think if we can sort of get to that sort of 500 mark for this season, anything on top of that is going to be, uh, to, to my eyes, is going to be uh, a positive. So I don't think we should get too carried away with playoff talk, you know, in week two of the season, week one, week two. Yeah, agreed. And agreed about the, the must-win game. I don't think it's a must-win game for the season, but I do understand why we must beat this team. This is the mm. type of team that we must beat. Yeah, these are the, um, these are the teams that the people should be looking at the schedule and thinking, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a game we should be winning. Yeah, I think, I think I've got us down for a 10-plus win on the day. Mm. Um, hopefully that will be correct. But I don't think it's a season-defining game on no, Sunday night. So. Not, not, not two weeks into the season. No. Week two, Detroit Lions visit Levi Stadium and we get our first W of the season. Uh, yes, we won the game, but it was a very disappointing performance. There was a lot of bad aspects of the game and there was a few that had carried over from the Vikings game. Stuff that we discussed in the Vikings review, stuff that you needed to make an immediate improvement on and that didn't seem to happen. Um, th there's a lot... A lot of negatives from the game. There is positives as well, but the there was a lot of negatives. So I think as far as this review go, goes, let's start off with the negatives and then hopefully we'll leave whoever's going to listen to this with the positives and they can go away and feel a bit, little bit more positive about the progression that some of the aspects of our game has taken. So, I mean, first of all, the bad bits... It felt as though we were second best most of the game, the vast majority of the game. I think there was maybe a, a six to an eight minute period straddling the very end of the second half, sorry, the second quarter and the start of the third quarter where it didn't exactly feel comfortable, but it felt as though 
we were making it a lot easier on ourselves. It felt a lot more fluid. It looked as though we were making progress. But that was seven, eight minutes maximum. Yeah, the first and fourth, I agree. But the second and third, I thought we were good enough um, without being overly dominant, to be perfectly honest. I thought we were, we'd blown it in the fourth, though, when uh, that defensive uh, holding wiped out what was a quite awful and painful to watch interception. I was uh, I was really sweating at that point. Oh, fantastic call by the official. And, and I think we weren't the only ones sweating either. I think Jimmy may have been sweating over that one. And I think he'll have been over the moon with that call. So something we came away from the Vikings game with, we're all really happy that we now have a pass pass rush. Um, And we thought, great, fantastic, we're going to push on, Buckner's going to have a career year, he's going to have a breakout year, and then we get to the Lions game, and it disappeared. Where did it go? What happened? We only got, what, two two sacks, four quarterback hits, and and we gave up long third downs over and over again. it's uh, very, very frustrating, and we need to do more to uh, to pressure on on the quarterback. For me, you, you know, when you look at the likes of Solomon Thomas, he seems to be okay against the run, but you know, you don't draft him as a run stopper with the third pick overall in the NFL draft, unfortunately. So Solomon Thomas has definitely not proven to be worthy of a first round pick at the moment. I don't hold out any high hopes that he, he's going to progress any further. Although reading some of the reports apparently cutting down on his reps, he plays a lot better, which, to be honest, that, that's not great. You don't want to play for only half a game, unless you're the Bills and they retire at the half of the game. You want somebody who can go through the whole game and play for the whole game. And it's a really disappointing to read that Solon, Solomon Thomas plays better when he plays less reps. Jimmy's taken 10 sacks now over the first two games. And from what I see, he's holding on to the ball far too long and he's risking injury. Um, not only that, he's actually making our O-line look worse than what it actually is. It was worrying at times because he needs to be sharper at identifying when to take a sack and when to throw it away. Um, he's made several mistakes this season when it seems to be that he's torn between the two. And um, the Lions were playing man coverage and, and our receivers were getting no separation. So Shanahan's going to have to scheme... Uh, much better in in the games in the future to try and uh, get that the, our receivers to to get separation from uh, you know f- from these schemes and you know Jimmy's going to have to get better himself at identifying when is the best time to take a sack and when is the best time to throw the ball away which at the minute he seems to be a little bit confused between the two about. So while we're talking about our receivers trying to shed man coverage and the fact that Goodwin's injured at the moment. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we released Aldrich Robinson, and I see he's just been picked up by the Vikings, and that kind of fits in well with what you've just said about Solomon Thomas. We'll release a player, they'll end up on a Super Bowl-caliber team and go and win a ring. Alfred Morris, we used him on short yardage, um, straight through the gut. It hasn't worked really as effectively as we would like. It is... Is that down to Alfred Morris? Is it down to the O-line? Alfred Morris, as we said previous, it, it seems to be to me a little bit obvious sometimes of um, what we're doing when Morris is on is on the field. And often, for some reason, we don't seem to, to get the push in uh, short-down situations. 
Uh, Person and Tomlinson, for me, at times, they seem to be blasting open massive holes for Breeder in the short-range game. We definitely need to have a look at what we're doing there. Um, to me, you know, you've got one of the best fullbacks in the league in Juice, and he should definitely be an option in trying to move the ball in those short field situations. But at the minute, he doesn't seem to be getting the ball for some reason. I'm not quite sure why that is, but I definitely like to see more of him. He was doing it last season in in a poor or in a worse team than than what he's in now. So I'd like to see more of him moving the ball forward um, in those situations at the minute, and certainly giving us a an extra option than, than Morris, who doesn't seem to be getting it done on those at the minute. The biggest disappointment for me at the weekend was one of our most promising players last season. And I think he had an absolute shocker, and that was a killer with a spoon. I'm mad. I'm disappointed. Um, <laughs> we were lucky that Stafford was so inaccurate all game because he missed some big throws downfield, and it could have easily been two or three touchdowns more for Detroit if... Uh, had he uh, been a bit more accurate and um, Witherspoon could have been pulled out of the game a lot earlier than he actually was if that had happened. Originally, I thought he was benched through poor play, um, but reading some of the reports afterwards, he was actually injured for uh, the last 15 snaps he took, uh, and that's what, and that's why he was replaced. But I think he should have been replaced because he was just so poor yesterday. Sorry, Sunday. Hopefully, he'll get a... He'll get a chance to reflect on that game, go back, look at the game tape, see what he did wrong. Sherman, I am sure, will put his arm around him and say, look, you've got to play better than that. This is what you did wrong. Sherman's already turned around and said, they're not targeting me. It's obvious they're targeting Akello all the time. And if they're targeting Akello, Akello should expect this. He should expect the ball going over him all the time. And theoretically, that should raise his chances of getting an interception if he knows the ball's more than likely going to come over to his side because they're actively trying to keep away from Sherman. So talking about the better bits then, what what were the good bits about the game? Breeder. Oh, what a guy. Brilliant. What a fantastic day. Um, I thought the guards, like I said just now, they did they did good for him. They did really well for him at times. Um, the touchdown run was a thing of beauty. Like, like you said there, the... The, uh, the discipline and to, to maintain that composure and the patience and to stay with Garçon from, what, 25? He's about 25 yards out, wasn't he? That was just first class. I mean, and he carried our offence in that game. Um, he used the width of the field on that whole touchdown run as well. Um, 11 for 138 yards with one touchdown and, and that was a 66-yard career-long touchdown run as well. Um, yeah, I love the guy. Brilliant, brilliant performance. Um, split the carries with Morris, um, but I can, to be honest, I can see him quickly becoming our feature back, number one running back in the not too distant future. They they might split again over the next couple of weeks or so, but in terms of, uh, like I say, through the season, I think he could actually be our feature running back. I would be over the moon if he does become our starter, purely because of the bold prediction I made uh, pre-season. Um, and that was in a private message to Richard Burley. And I turned around and I said, I'm expecting Breeder to get 1,600 yards through the, or on the ground. It is bold indeed. Um, after the first game, I was very worried about that prediction. But after seeing him on Sunday night against the Lions, albeit against a, a Russian defence that uh, finished last, last season, you still have to be good to do that. He, he's still getting 138 yards on the ground. Um, plus, I think it was another 48 yards through the air as well. And I, th- I thought he had an excellent game. And yeah, I really hope he does become our starter. 
So Kendrick Bourne got his first career touchdown. How would you rate his dancing? Uh, Bourne, first career touchdown. Did well to get so open, didn't he, and walk in. Um, I wasn't quite sure how much he contributed this season, to be honest. So very happy to see him score early on. And uh, unfortunately, a, a bit like Pettis, it was his only catch of the game, the, just that one catch. Um, but he did play the McKinnon role very well, coming out of the backfield and uh, getting so open and strolling into the uh, into the end zone there untouched. And, you know, if you can use the likes of Pettis and McKinnon and one or two of the other guys, oh, sorry, not McKinnon, if you can use um, Pettis and Bourne in, in those kind of roles that McKinnon was going to, to take previously, then, all right, you, you're not replacing him like for like, but you've certainly got options in, in the wide receiving core that can come out of the backfield like that and uh, create problems for uh, for uh, defences. And in comment about the um, dancing, as someone who can't dance myself, it's definitely a t- it's a ten out of ten for me. Yeah, can't can't disagree there. I'm not a dancer either, and he's got the moves. So the special teams tackling had us concerned at one point, where Mossett de- Mossett delivered that huge hit on the punt return, and the reason it had us concerned, if you watch it again, you see Mossett's head bend right backwards. Uh, and my first thought was, I mean, it was a fantastic hit, don't get us wrong. But my first thought was, I hope he's okay, because he's our third string running back. We can't afford to lose another running back. Um, special team tackling, um, yeah, they were brilliant. Not much to add to what you said there. Um, if they can tackle, why can't half of the defence? Maybe the uh, special team should lead the uh, tackling duties uh, in practice in the week. And as for that, most uh, tackle well. What an absolute... Um, hit that was uh, if John Madden was commentating on that game that was a, a boom moment wasn't it that was absolutely amazing yeah he did I'm quite surprised that the line got back up after that I think Pettis has definitely been a revelation as, as far as our wide receiving core goes the first completion of the game was absolutely fantastic Pettis coming across the field took the ball after 15 yards through the air uh, and then gained 15 yards after the catch as well. It was an absolutely fantastic 30-yard play of that. The speed, he, he was being chased down by two defenders, and I thought that was excellent. And um, Agreed. It was a great post-corner route. Um, it was a shame that he was shot out of the game after that, really, because he was clearly he is clearly an excellent weapon that we should be utilising more, really. Um, yeah, not really much more to add to that than, um, you know, I'm still very excited about him playing for us. I thought he showed amazing composure during the, the fumbled handoff. He, he didn't panic. He, he chased the ball down, picked it up with a safe pair of hands uh, and ended up getting out of bounds. We, we did lose two yards on the play, but we didn't turn the ball over. Uh, and for a second game rookie not to panic in that situation and consciously think about what he needs to do, where he needs to go to make sure we hang on to this ball, was it was pleasing to see. You mentioned Elijah Lee. I've got to admit, I was very surprised. So before the game had started, <laughs> yeah. But honestly, I think everybody was surprised about how well he played that day. When I looked at the uh, active, the, the, the inactive players, and then I looked who was starting, I thought Elijah Lee, he's probably going to be our weakest link today, looking at the rest of the defence. Um, so I wasn't expecting that much from him. And then he turns in an absolute excellent game, 12 tackles, one assist a forced fumble and a sack. And it was just so pleasing to see somebody who, who you probably don't class him as a third stringer because he wasn't third in line. You've got Foster, you've got Warner, 
you've got Smith, you've got Coyle, yeah, Smith the Invisible Man. You've you've got Coyle who's now on IR. Um, and then you've got Elijah Lee, and you've got the guy whose name I can never pronounce. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but it begins with an N. So you've got those. And Elijah Lee, I would have thought out of all of those, was the weakest link for me. So, yeah, I was over the moon to see how well he played on Sunday night, and that was a huge positive. Elijah Lee, yeah. Um, both he and Cassius Marsh were good, actually. I thought they, they were both involved in our only takeaway. Uh, Lee got the sack. Uh, Marsh got the recovery. And as you say, 12 tackles, and he's going to be um, a nice addition uh, to the team. He'd certainly be a great player off the bench when Foster comes back next week. He'll probably also contribute on special teams now that Foster's back. And, you know, if if he can sort of spell for Foster and Warner every so often and come in and, and not be too much of a downgrade, then, again, he's much much a, a positive person and positive part of the game on Sunday that we can look forward to seeing again in the future. You've got to be happy with our line back in death now to see how they can perform and step up. The 49ers haven't been the best of teams with challenges over the last few years. Well, I'm saying the last few years. Yeah, ever since Harbaugh came on, we, we throw these stupid challenge flags and they're so frustrating because you sat at home and you think, why on earth did you throw that? You're going to lose that every single time. Well, it was the flip side on Sunday and we threw the challenge flag um, to prevent a first down. And it was absolutely excellent. I mean, I, I didn't see it at first. I, I thought the officials were right. that spotted the ball right. I didn't see his knee go down. But that was a huge momentum changer for the Lions as well because it pecked them back. Um, I think it was on a third down as well. So they had to punt the ball, and that was an excellent challenge. And it's pleasing to see that it's finally changing. Yeah, what's that? Six out of ten for Carl now. Uh, I think the percentage they said in the league last night is 39%. Um, so yeah, he's doing very well in that. There's obviously something changed in the um, backroom staff there because, like you say previously, we we weren't particularly good at it when we seemed to when we first moved to Levi's, and and now we seem to be uh, well, you know, we're much ahead of league average since uh, Shanahan's come in. So that's pleasing to see, and uh, also goes to show that some of our old friends at Forty Nine Faithful UK who who work in in these sections of Levi Stadium are doing an excellent job in the film rooms and replay studios. Uh Selleck in the red zone. Uh yeah, we mentioned it before, didn't we? He and Kittle should be used more in the red zone. You, you know, you've got these big six foot four, six foot five guys, they're matchup nightmares. I don't know why um you know why they haven't been used more to be honest. Um, you know, when you look at the way that Jimmy Graham, Antonio Gates and Gronkowski are used um, there's no reason why our guys can't can't be used in the same way. All right, they're, they're probably not ever going to be at the same level as those guys. But if if you if you scheme for them in the right way, they they could you know they they could be huge weapons for us. And um, as I say I think we both noticed last night that um, Jimmy's overthrown Kittle a few times this season now. So that's obviously something that they're going to have to uh, to work on on the training fields as well because. Uh, if he's overthrowing Kittle in red zone situations and on the field of play, then there's uh, absolutely no hope for some of our uh, small wide receivers that we've got in our team at the minute. That's right. Yeah, hopefully that'll come with experience and the touch and a little bit more chemistry. And yeah, I, I think hopefully that'll come down a bit and he'll, his accuracy will improve a little bit there. At the end of the game, the, the final stats were very close indeed between the Lions and the 49ers. Everything was pretty much even all the way down. Total yards was a little bit of a, a gap towards the Lions on that. Um, 
but the stats suggest it was as close of a game as what the score suggests as well. So we now sit at one and one. So leading up to the Kansas City Chiefs game next Sunday, what are we looking for for progression? Are we looking to get rid of the issues that we've had in the first two games, which is the terrible tackling, trying to create a, a few more running lanes for the likes of Breeder and Morris? Yeah, in terms of the defensive tackling, I wonder whether there's anything that's stopping the two-a-day and minimal full-contact practices um, have stopped the art of tackling because it's... Uh, I don't think it's just the 49ers that, that are like it. I think it's uh, NFL-wide that seems to be with a constantly changing rules. You'd think that teams would be or should be doing more to to coach them up in terms of form tackling and, and wrapping up. It's uh, it's certainly worrying. And I do think that we seem to be worse than a lot of the other teams. But I, I don't think it is just down to the 49ers. I think there's plenty of teams that are, are, are bad. It's just that obviously we've been watching both. We've, you know, we've been watching the 49ers and it just seems to be... Uh, plaguing us at the minute it's uh, not particularly pleasant to watch no I agree with you there and it's hard to put your finger on what it is whether or not it's been a rule change whether or not as you say it's the CBA it's uh, the lack of tackling within a within the the week the practice week Kyle Shanahan actually turned around and he says it would be ridiculous for us to have full pad tackling that's not what you do not in season uh, you do very rarely during off season never mind in season so that could contribute to it. But it is difficult to say there's one single thing that has led to the reduction in the amount of tackling during the game. Chiefs game. Uh, it's a very, very difficult place to go, isn't it? It's even worse when the Chiefs are playing as well as they are. Um, they do all as- all three aspects of the of the game well, offence, defence and special teams. Um, it's also worth re- remembering that this is their home opener. They um, play both of their games so far away on the road. Um, I say defensively, they only give up 33 yards rushing to Pittsburgh yesterday. That was mainly down to the fact that they were 21 nil up straight away, and uh, Pittsburgh were throwing the ball so much on them. Um, but Mahomes is uh, excellent. He takes care of the ball well. Um, he picked the Steelers apart yesterday. He will exploit mismatches everywhere. Um, in, in the likes of Kelsey, Watkins and Hill, there's their matchup nightmares. Um, whoever's against Witherspoon or whoever the second cornerback might be, they potentially could have a field day. Um, Kelsey on those seam routes will keep the uh, linebackers and safety honest, especially um, versus coverage zones. Um, but I do think we can pass on them. Uh, ben Roethlisberger yesterday threw 60, uh, yeah, 60 pass attempts, uh, 452 yards. Uh, three touchdowns. They were behind early, as we said, so they almost went past only all the way through. But I think, not saying that we can uh, hang with them, but I certainly think we we can put points on them. So, again, I'm sort of setting my expectations accordingly. Um, they didn't cover particularly well yesterday. I think we'll, like I say, we'll score points. I think we'll struggle to uh, to hold them down to, <laughs> to to not scoring many points, to be perfectly honest. Um Kind of thinking along the lines, I don't know, is it 10 points, 10, 11 points on the line from Vegas? I think if we do, we'll do well to cover that, I, I don't think it would be as high as 14. I would imagine it must be about close to 10 to 11 based on, on how we've started and how they've started this season. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? You, you, you don't want to sort of accept a win, but you, you kind of, uh, or you, you know, you're not, you're never happy to, to, to lose, sorry, or you, you don't want to accept a, lo- a loss, but. It's one of those games where you know, at the start of the season and, and even now we're, we're kind of thinking that, well, yeah, we probably will 
unfortunately lose and you pencil it in for a loss. So as long as we cover ourselves well, uh, we don't go down um, to a huge defeat. Um, again, it's just about reevaluating, getting our expectation levels on the on the right level. Um, I think I think, like I say, we'll score points, but I, I think I'm expecting us to lose. But I don't think it will be a huge blowout. But if if it all goes spectacularly wrong, it it could well be. But I don't think it will. I'd like to think we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll do we'll do reasonably well there, but like I say, I am expecting a loss, unfortunately. It's been great reviewing these two games with you, Brian. I look forward to previewing the other season's games and also reviewing them on a Monday. If anybody would like to get involved in the podcast or appear on the show as a guest, just drop us a quick message via the Facebook group. Thanks for listening, guys. Tune in next week for the Kansas City Review. Love the San Francisco 49ers deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, Stiff Farm going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students. And Bill Walsh, don't ever forget.